This is When Spirit Calls, and you on your journey are in the right place. This show is about magic, miracles, and meaning shared through stories, interviews, and channeled messages. We have so much to share about who you are and your divine mission here on the earth. Let's get to it. When Spirit Calls is right now. Our guest today is someone whose name I've heard growing up and many times over the years. It is the legendary Udo Erasmus. Udo is the co-founder of Udo's Choice line, which can be found in Whole Foods and other health food stores worldwide. Udo designed the machinery for making oils with health in mind and pioneered flax oil, a billion-dollar industry. However, Udo walked a difficult path to become the man he is today. Being a child of war, Udo's life began with intense struggle. As an adult, he got pesticide poisoning in 1980, leaving doctors at a loss regarding treatment. Deciding to take his health into his own hands, Udo began researching and his discoveries led him to a passion for finding the answers to life's big questions, which would hopefully one day bring him and the world peace. Today, Udo is an acclaimed speaker and author of many books, including the best-selling Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, which has sold over 250,000 copies. He teaches at events hosted by Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra, and has keynoted an international brain health conference and traveled to over 30 countries to conduct thousands of live presentations, media interviews, and staff trainings, impacting more than 25 million lives with his message on oils. Health, peace, nature, and human nature. Udo has an extensive education in biochemistry, genetics, biology, nutrition, including a master's degree in counseling psychology. I cannot wait to dive in with Udo today. Here we are, another episode of When Spirit Calls. And you guys, I'm really excited about this guest because I have heard this name floating around my household for many, many years. And so how beautiful is it that Spirit has led Udo to me? So Udo, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for being there. Oh, so happy to have you. And we're going to get right into things because I know we have so much to share. And I suspect we're going to have a fairly long show today. So I want to get started right away. And as my audience knows, we always love to start with hearing your story. So I would love for you to share with our audience a little bit about your story and how you came to where you are today. So would you do that for us to start us off? Sure. Sure. I was born in 1942 during the Second World War in Poland, which was then part of Germany. And my parents had come from Latvia and Estonia. And uh, when Hitler and Stalin made their non-aggression pact, they decided that Latvia would be given to the Soviet Union. That's where my father lived. And part of Poland would be given to Germany. But there was nobody from Latvia or Poland at the meeting. They just <laughs> took it because they were big and they could. Wow. And my parents, uh, my father particularly, loved the Russians as people and hated communism because communism took everything away from everybody. Mm. And so when, when he, he had a farm, so he was going to lose the farm. And so he was given a farm in Poland by Germany. So he moved from Latvia to Poland and the Polish farmer became his farmhand. 
Wow. And you can imagine there would have been a little tension there. But they said, look, as we live in crazy times, let's just run the farm the way a farm needs to be run. And then when all this craziness sorts out, then we'll sort it out. Wow. And they became friends. And they became friends and they worked together. So I was born on the stolen farm in, in Poland, which was then part of Germany. Wow. So the war ended when I was two, two and a half. And we were then refugees. Mm. And we were mostly women with young children on horse-drawn hay wagon on a dirt road with no military presence. And the p communists were chasing us west from behind with tanks and trucks. Wow. And the allies, you know, the good guys, mm -hmm. they were shooting us from planes. They were using the refugees, the women and young children as target practice. Oh my gosh. And so there were dead horses and dead people in the ditches. And my mother eventually kind of broke down and she said, this is not, I, I can't stay on the road. She had six kids with her, six and younger. Wow. And she decided to go through the fields because it was safer in the snow-covered fields than it was on the road. Hmm. And so she, but she couldn't deal with six kids and especially <laughs> two-year-olds, you know, climbing over the, the, the plowed fields in the snow. So she had to leave four kids behind, left them with a the farmer and, uh, then they were going to take us back to relatives in Berlin, but those relatives had already left because there was everything was in uproar and everybody was taken off. And so I ended up in an orphanage, me and one of my sisters, um, ended up in an orphanage. And eventually her sister found out what had happened and she came and got us and reunited us with the family. Wow. Now, I don't remember a lot of things but I remember not feeling safe. That was probably my big deal. I don't feel safe. Yeah. And why is that? Because there was a lot of noise and a lot of bullets flying and, you know, and then people changed their minds. You know, it's like my recommendation to anybody who has a kid, don't raise it in a war zone. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you want to have some kind of stability yeah. so that a child can grow, that the child can grow up normally you know, and just get to know the world at its own pace and all of that. So I was very shy. I never felt safe. I never knew what I could trust because, you know, my mother left me behind. Imagine her having to make that decision either I way. I can't even. Holy I, I'm just like, I'm feeling so emotional and I can feel my body just responding to your story yeah, 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 in such yeah. a profound yeah, way. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so, and so I became a pretty withdrawn kid and I loved the world of books because books are safe. Aha. Uh -huh. Right? You can read about a war and there are no bullets flying. That's right. I didn't like the bullets flying. I loved the stories. So, and then, and then when it came to getting education, I kind of went into sciences because I wanted to know how things work. Because when you know how things work, you get a certain amount of predictability and that gives you a certain amount of security. Yes. Indeed. That's one of the reasons why science is powerful. Yeah. Right? And then I got into um, biology because I wanted to understand how creatures work. So things work, creatures work. Then I got into psychology because I wanted to know how thinking works. Mm. Then I got into medicine because I wanted to know how health works. Yeah. So I thought if I know what health is, I can help people when they depart from health. 
I could turn him in the direction of health, give him a push, and watch him get better. But I have to know where to push him. Yes. We only learned about disease in medicine. So I left and went back into biochemistry and genetics because I'd realized you, you learn more about health in biology than you do in medicine. Was wow. you're studying the normal functioning of normal creatures in normal situations. Mm. And that's health is a natural is a natural state. Yes. So and all of this came out of a conversation that I listened to when I was six years old in Germany, where adults were arguing about stuff and really intense, like the arguments so intense. Mm. And it always made me uneasy because I, I had a problem with like that kind of intensity. Of course you would. And they were arguing about things that were really trivial mm. to me as a six-year-old. Yeah. And this thought occurred to me is there must be a way that human beings can live in harmony. Wow. And this little cocky, little, little, little cocky voice that said, and I'm going to find out how. Wow. You know, six-year-old didn't know how complicated everything is. <laughs> I'm going to find out how. <laughs> that's kind of been my driver all my life. Wow. And that's why those, that's those studies, because they, they were in the service of how can human beings live in harmony. Yes. So- so I, then I eventually, I left university because I didn't find what I was looking for there. I was looking for something. I knew I would recognize it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't find it in science. I didn't find it in biology. I didn't find it in psychology. I didn't find it in medicine. I didn't find it in biochemistry and genetics. So I left university and got a little bit into psychedelics. And I did a, an LSD, we call them trips in those days, right? Yeah. Did an LSD trip, and that kind of blew open the door of my war baby personality. Wow. Because, because I realized, oh my God, for a couple of things, I realized a couple of things. One is, this is, and I laughed till I, and I was laughing and I was crying at the same time, like the tears were running down my cheeks. I was lying on the floor listening to Mozart laughing in time with the music. And what it struck me as so funny that everything that I was looking for outside so studiously was actually already present inside me. Yeah. That struck me as the funniest thing. Oh. You know, it's like this joke. You know, God's gotten tired of people complaining so much. And so he gets all his advisors together, you know, how they... So it's a it's a story, obviously. Yes. Gets all these advisors together. Where can I hide? I, I gotta get out of here. People are just driving me nuts. So one guy says, Well, go up on Mount Everest. And and uh little little guy says, No, no, no. They'll find you there. Okay, go into the deepest hole in the ocean. It would you know, we'll be safe there. No, 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 they're gonna make some kind of a buggy and they're gonna find me there too. And so this little guy comes comes up and he says, I, I have an idea. Why don't you hide in the heart of man? Because that's the one place where they're never going to look. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I love that story. I love that, Joe. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and, the truth, and the truth is, that's what I was looking for, but I didn't know it yeah. because there's nothing in the culture that directs your focus back inside that's right. Into the space that your body occupies yeah. to discover what's in that space yeah. other than liver and guts, right? <laughs> but what is in that space energetically? Right. And it turns out everything you're looking for on the outside, you actually got on the inside. 
Amen. That's the joke. Right? Yes. What you, the peace you look for in the world is within you. Absolutely. Right? The love, unconditional love, you are that unconditional love because yes. life is unconditional love for the body. Yes. Oh my God. So what if you bring your focus inside into the energy of life and you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can even taste it. Mm. If you, it, in that, you feel so cared for. Yes. That it's not about you anymore. Oh my God, I'm cared for. Yeah. And now I look around, okay, what do I, what needs to be done around here? Where can I help? How can I make the biggest splash for good yeah. in the time that I have? Oh, right? Brilliant. And that came, so first it was, that came from, from psychedelic experiences. They just opened up the door. Oh my God, there's a thousand ways to live. Yeah. And then how do I want to live? And then I had this very powerful experience that we can talk about where at, I, because after I left university, I was still looking for what is it? What is it? And it's like, there's, there's got to be something. And so I started, eventually got into reading the red letter edition of the Bible, of the New Testament. Okay. Because I thought Jesus might not be a bad model. Right? My father was not my model. My mother was not my model. I was looking for who do I model myself after? Yeah. So I so, said, okay, well, you know, they're still talking about this guy 2,000 years later. <laughs> Maybe there's must something. Have been some, yeah. There must have been something there. Yeah. And so I took the red letter edition. Everything Jesus says is in red ink and everything else in that Bible is in black ink. I wanted to get focused on. And my question was, what did he feel? I don't know why the question came to me that way because I was in a pretty academic intellectual environment. But what did he feel? That made him live like he did, talk like he did, do what he did. Wow. I don't want to be Jesus. I don't want a religion named after me, but I want to know what was his experience. Uh, That's a really good question to ask. You know, sure thinking is. back, it's like, it's like, what? There is not a better question to ask. So I was pursuing that and I was putting little things to the test and taking some risks. That if what he said wasn't true, I'd be in some trouble. Uh. I had some magical experiences, magical. And then after about a year of that, there was this group of Christians that came up the coast from California, and they called themselves the Jesus People's Army. Mm. Now, that should have been a warning to me because army was not exactly a good word to be pursuing from my life experience. Yes. Because I came out of a war, army, war, you know. Yes, of course. But I missed the cute. I missed the cute. And um, and my thought was, okay, well, these guys must be all trying to figure out what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. And so we're going to get together and we're going to share our stories because everybody who, everybody's going to have a story mm -hmm. of how they're doing, what they've learned, and we're all going to leave it enriched at the end of the evening. That's I totally thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And they had a coffee house, so I went to their coffee house, and I sat down at a table, and this guy swooped in beside me just immediately as I sat down. That should have been my second cue, and I missed that one too. <laughs> so I started the conversation. I didn't introduce myself. I just looked him in the eyes, and I said, it must be possible to see God and live. 
because when we were kids, we were told, if you see God, you die. And it was always, that always seemed strange to me because, wait a minute, this guy loves me unconditionally, takes care of me when I'm sleeping, makes my heart beat, makes my breath go in and out, you know, makes everything going on in the body happen because I don't have much control over it other than where I, what I eat, mm-hmm. right? So I don't have much control over that. Tells me when to eat, tells me when I need to be thirsty and drink something, when I have to go and relieve myself, right? So runs that whole show, loves me unconditionally, and if I look at him, he kills me. It's like- Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) What? It doesn't make any sense. So I started the conversation that way. Wow. Must be possible to see God and live. Well, he jumped out of his chair. And his arms were flying around in the air, and he screamed at the top of his lungs, You're from the devil! You're from the Antichrist! Get out! Oh, dear. And I go slinking out of there, you know. (laughs) And I'm standing on the sidewalk in the dark, and I'm saying to myself, Well, let's see, I haven't seen God. Maybe I'm not supposed to ask this kind of a question. Because we were also told there are some questions you shouldn't ask. Right. And I but they didn't tell us what those questions were. Because <laughs> if we they told us what those questions were, I would have asked them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was I was always pretty experimental because I had no culture to lean on and I had no like I really didn't have like we lost everything in the war, you know, the land, the house, everything. the culture, the neighbors, right? So in a way it's a gift because it really allowed me to start from scratch. Yeah. Anyway, so out I go. And then I decided to go in nature to clear my head because that's how I used to clear my head. I grew up in nature quite a bit. And so I hitchhiked to the west coast of Vancouver Island. It's a big beach there called Long Beach. Not the California one, but the BC one. (laughs) And the place was deserted. It's probably August or September. Deserted. There was nobody on the beach other than logs. And somebody had draped plastic over some of these logs and made a little dwelling. So I decided, okay, this is my hotel for the weekend. Wow. And I went and laid down. And by the way, when I left, you know, to clear my head, I was desperate and confused. Yeah. And a certain amount of sincerity that comes from desperation. And it was like, I really wanted to know. Ah, I really want to know. I just... I, I need to know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I lay down and fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, I woke bolt upright from dead asleep. And there was this being made of light. Hmm. And uh wasn't an angel because it didn't have wings. This is like my interpretation. <laughs> what do I know about? Because I don't know about this kind of stuff, right? There wasn't an angel made of light. Couldn't tell if it was male or female. Couldn't tell if it was old or young. And didn't say anything and had no labels on it, but embodied a message. Yes. And I could put words to the message that it embodied. And the words are, I am come not to judge, but to love. Ah, not to judge, but to love. I am come not to judge, but to love. Mm -hmm. And all of my desperation and confusion evaporated. And I have never had a question since that day. What was the 
essence of the message of the master to humanity. I am come not to judge, but to love. And it's more succinct than even in the Bible. Yes. (laughs) Right? It is, yeah. And so... And so I've never had a question. And and then over time, I started to say, well, who was that? Mm. Well, was that Christ? Because my question was, what was his, you know, what was his feeling? Yeah. You know, what what did he feel? What what was the essence of his being, right? Was that Christ or was that spirit? Or was that my life? And I came to the conclusion, actually, those three are the same. Yes, (laughs) that's exactly not only so not only is this the essence of the mass message of the masters to humanity it also it's also the essence of life or in terms of your podcast spirit to the body yes because life loves my body unconditionally 24 7 365 life law right yeah and so I this morning I was I was thinking you know said don't expect love from your government and don't expect love from the people around you. You might get a little, but the love you're looking for, you already got because you are that love because you in your essence are life energy. That life energy, by the way, is solar energy or a fraction of solar energy filtered through 93 million miles, then filtered through the atmosphere, then filtered through green plants then stored in bonds between atoms to make molecules. When you eat those and you break them down in your cells, that energy is released. Now that solar energy fraction is called life, Mm. right? And that life energy, when you bring your focus into that life energy, that's the master. Life is the master in your body, Mm. right? Weighs nothing, runs everything. Yes. Right? omnipresent, present everywhere in your body, omniscient, knows everything because it's running that whole show through a genetic program that it built over eons. And omnipresent, omnipotent, all powerful in you. Yes. 60 trillion cells, the power within 60 trillion cells. Right? Wow. Now that's, a def- that's one of the definitions of God. So that thing lives inside of every human being. You know, every, so you could say, if you use the Christian language, every child is born a Christ child. Every conception is immaculate. Yes. Every, uh, you know, and then every body eventually gets crucified. Yeah. And life and death of the body is not the end. Not the end. Because the, the energy, when it separates from the body, it can't just like, not yeah. be anymore. Energy right. is energy. Yeah. It's something. It goes elsewhere. Oh, somewhere. Yeah. No longer connected to the body, but it doesn't disappear just like none of the atoms in your dead body just disappear. They just go back to where they, you know, from to earth, to, to dust, to water, to air. Yes. Right? And all gets recycled, right? Because mm-hmm. part of my body right now is probably was a tomato. <laughs> you know, and or an eggplant, you know, or a, or grass, you know, grass that yeah. a cow ate to make milk, or right. So that's always being recycled. Yeah. And the energy is formless and indestructible. 
indestructible. The something in us is formless and indestructible. And behind that, unconditional love, that is life, there is a peace that is awareness. And there is peace when you know that, when you go inside and you get connected to that. Then you look around and say, oh my God, peace is every Peace is like space. Yes. You know, you can have an explosion happen in space, but this explosion doesn't change space. Right? Yeah. So peace is like space. It's everywhere, always, already. Yes. But only peace in you can connect with that. So if you don't know that peace is everywhere, it's because peace in you is not doing the observing. Yes. Right? And that's why people do stillness practice, which I after which I, I started doing a couple of years after I had this experience in nineteen seventy, because I wanted to stay in that presence. Yeah. And I was looking for how can I stay in that presence? Because it started to become a memory. Right. How can I stay in that presence? And that took me to a, a kid who showed me the stillness practice that I've been doing for over 50 years now. Wow. And so the deeper you go, the more beautiful it is, the more mm-hmm. comfortable it is, the more peace you feel, the more love you feel. The more grace. Yes. The more grace and the less you get fried and anxious and tripped out by all the changes that you can't control. Right. Because you can't control them because everything's, everything that can change will, that's not in your control. Right. Most things, right? Yeah. And all the things we, we get anxious about are the things we can't control. You can control some things. Yeah. You, know, you can control what you say and you can control how long you wait before you go to the bathroom to, to some extent, right? <laughs> yes. But you can't control the fact that the leaves are going to fall and fall. That's right. Or or you can't control what uh, the prime minister of your country, you know, does behind closed doors. Right. Or the president of your nation, if you're in the U.S., you know, yes. what they do behind closed doors. Yeah. And who they tell to do things that may not be that good for you. Yeah. You don't have control of that. That's but right. you can be present yes. in something that doesn't change, that gives you a foundation. For the and then you can and then you can enjoy yeah. the changes yeah. and turn them into entertainment. I hear what you're saying is that it gives you the conscious ability to choose how you respond to everything around you, right? Yeah. Uh, within yourself, then you have a more conscious awareness of how you yeah. get to respond to whatever that is. Yeah, but even more, maybe even more precise than that, is the only freedom you really have is where you focus. Mm. And because peace is in you, but confusion is also in you, <laughs> where do you want to focus? Right. I could go to confusion anytime I want. Oh, sure. <laughs> but but because I've been practicing for, for quite a long time, I can go to peace anytime I want. Yes. Right? And so you, you need to know the territory. That's what education is for. Yeah. And that's why people take instructions in meditation or in or listen to teachers who are doing stillness practice and bringing to expression what happens in stillness practice. It's that's so- what education is for so you find out what are the options for your focus. That's- but the only thing you really have choice over is where you put your focus. 
So where do you want it? You can put it in all of the conspiracy theories or the anti-conspiracy anti-theories, right? <laughs> or you can put it into the right-wing craziness or the left-wing craziness. Or you can just listen to both of them and say, oh, interesting. You're not even talking about helping people. You're just blabbering about head trips. Yeah. Thought, 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 thought. Thought's nothing. It's a ping pong right? game of back and forth. Yeah. And you can be in this beautiful foundation of peace and love that you have and enjoy the show. Yes. Right? Or maybe even direct the show to something a little more grounded. Yeah. Right? I absolutely adore how you have described your whole story, but more importantly, the science almost of God in a way of, you know, yeah. putting it in another perspective for people because, yeah. you know, I think that that's important to have these different opportunities to look at, okay, well, what makes me life? What makes me God? And how, yeah. how does that connect? And you've just done such a brilliant job sharing that with everyone. So I really want to start by thanking you for that. Yeah. I, I also- I've Oh yeah, I have one. I have one more piece to that story, but oh, but finish yes. what you're going to say. Well, I just wanted to. I want to bring this to the surface again because it was so powerful when you were asking the question. You know, can't we see God and live? Mm -hmm. And I really want to invite our audience to think about how they can see God and live in every day and every moment. Because I just felt that that was so powerful, Udo, and I, I want to be able to bring that to the surface because. I've been able to witness God in many facets, but even in a more deeper personal kind of epiphanyic way. And not everyone necessarily gets that, I know, but it doesn't have to look that way either. And so just mm -hmm. inviting people to be able to see God within themselves right. and within yeah. all of that which happens around them too. So Right. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And, and the issue is ask the question. What is the most important question you could ask? You know, what is the most comprehensive? What is the deepest question you could ask? What is the most important question you could ask about how you live on this planet? Mm. Right? Because it came out of that question. And I'm very visual, so I wanted to I wanted to see, you know, to me it was see God. But if you're kinesthetic, then how you could feel God. Feel God. Yeah. And if you're if you're more auditory, then you could hear God. Yeah. And if you're just into food and taste, right, you could actually taste it yeah. as well. Oh. And it's God and it's a God or life. Those are almost synonyms. Yes. It's like God is more, more expansive than life energy. It's more, you know, God is more like awareness. Christ is more like energy. Yeah. And uh, so-called Holy Spirit is more like the inspiration that uh -huh. comes out of the light that you are, that shines into the world. Yes. Oh, I love it too. Yeah. And, and yeah, science and religion are just two different ways to try to discover the nature of reality. Yes. They're not contradictory. I... What, what's contradictory is that science hasn't wanted to go subjective. Right. And religion... Once has been imposed on people, not as a, you know, as a as a meme to memorize. Yes, as the right words to say, rather than an exploration of your own nature and your own connection. Right to what is infinite. Yeah, and so 
the problems beside between science and religion just come from limitations of thoughts we put on it. I had a I had a philosophy of science professor, and he said you can't be objective about yourself. And I, you know, I heard that and I said, well, that doesn't actually make sense. So I said to him, well, what is objectivity? He said it's an attitude. And I said, well, can you learn that attitude? And he said, of course, we teach people that in science class every year. So you can learn to be objective. So then my question was, well, if you've learned objectivity and you go with that attitude, then you should be able to direct it outside and you should also be able to direct it inside. Mm. Because all you're doing and all of science and all of discovery and all of religion or spirituality is based on observation. Yes. And preferably observation from a quiet place without an agenda. Mm. So that you're just asking what is, not what is in terms of my religion or what is in terms of my attitude, you you know, my my memorization of uh you can't be objective about subjective. You know, and so he couldn't argue with me. If he, he say because he he put him you know he walked himself into that hole right <laughs> he, did, yes. and he couldn't he <laughs> he couldn't argue with my logic but he couldn't accept it either uh-huh. and he would just go <laughs> you know and and I kind of like I was a I was a little cocky at, at that time I kind of like I think I got him <laughs> you know but but uh, uh, but the tr- but it's true. Right, so when you go stillness practice, you're actually getting into a quiet place. You leave your concepts outside. You walk out of the place where your concepts live, and you observe what is in the space my body occupies, mm. other than liver and guts. What is there? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What is it? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. What does it taste like? What is in that space? And then people say, well, just notice the sensations and how they come and go, you know, and you can do all of that. But I just say, see how still you can become. See how deep can you go into that stillness. See how long you can stay there. And what do you discover? You know, and then maybe breathe a little more slowly and lightly. And what do you experience? What do you feel? What do you see? What do you hear? Yeah. What do you taste? This right. is this is such a brilliant practice for all of us, I think, because we aren't, you know, we're we're called human beings, but we're busy human doing. Yeah, I I have one on that too. Is what right. is more important, uh, do being or doing? Yes. And, question, right? Yes. Obviously, being is more important because you can be without doing. But you can't do without being. Oh yes. Oh right? goodness. Yes. Right. So so that means so that means being is your foundation. Yeah. And if you're not doing some kind of a stillness practice where you tap into being, you're actually living with, without foundation. And because we're living without that foundation, that's where our peace is, that's why the world is so crazy. Because we're not doing our homework, the work we need to do at home. Yes, indeed. Right? 
like I said, they, every child is a, is a Christ child. Every child, because life is Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Only, and the difference between the masters and us is that the masters took it seriously and they did their stillness practice. Yes. You know, 40 years in the desert or withdraw to the mountains or whatever it was, right? Or under the banyan tree, right? Whatever it is, they took time for stillness. And they took, and then they spoke from what what they discovered in that stillness, and they were teachers of human nature because they were embedded and immersed in their nature, not different from us, but deeper. And what we do is we tend to just dabble, if right. we do it at all, we just right. tend to dabble. Yeah. And they had a committed practice, and they recommended committed practice to everybody. It is, you know, and there are things that didn't make it into the scriptures. The masters taught people who wanted to learn, yes, or who liked the message and they said, "Hey, I want that too." Well, they taught them some kind of a stillness practice. There are lots of tons of practices, yes. But the issue is, you need to bring your focus inside into this space your body occupies, yes. where it was when you were in your mother's womb. This is the other part of the story, right? So, when you were in your mother's womb, where was your focus? Well, let's see. There was no place to go. There was nothing there was nothing to do. Everything was taken care of. Yes. And it was pretty safe. Yeah. Right? So what were you doing? You're floating in a little tank. I call it the Buddha tank, you know, because it just sounds nice. It has a nice nice ring to it. So you're floating in the Buddha tank. <laughs> You don't even know you have a mother. You yeah. don't know that there's a world. That's right. You don't know any of that, right? So where's your focus? Well, your focus is at rest inside, in its source, yeah. in life, mm -hmm. and beyond that, in awareness. Mm -hmm. So you're actually, while you're in your mother's womb, you're in deep meditation, mm -hmm. like a yogi, like a yogi master, like a master. And that meditation is on what? On light, on sound, yeah. you know, inner light, inner sound, yeah. inner feeling, love, mm -hmm. wholeness, oneness, mm. right? And there you are. So, you know, it's the kingdom of heaven. Yes. It, the paradise, right? Yeah. And then you get kicked out, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's true, right? Into this. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get kicked out into the world, and that's because it's part of the process. Of course. And now you got to get to know the world, because now you have to learn to maneuver through the world, the, the change and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. So your focus goes from being present inside but absent outside, gradually goes out through your senses Attracted by change, because whenever something changes, you have to say, is this friend, is this foe? Mm. Or do I ignore it because it's not relevant? Because you have to now deal with physical survival. So you learn that. And so gradually your, your focus goes outside and absent inside. Mm. And when it goes absent inside, that's where heartache begins. Yeah. Because heartache, you know, I mean, we have so many words for heartaches. I've got 10 pages of words that people use for heartache. 
loneliness and longing and blues and sorrow and sadness and striving and, and longing and hope and wish. You know, it just goes on and on. There's so many. And it's because we call heartache by what triggers it. So girl dumps me and I feel blue, right? right? And I've called it blue because that's related to a relationship I didn't want to end. Mm -hmm. But the trigger for the blues is not the cause of the blues. Mm. The trigger of the sadness when somebody dies is not the death. The trigger is that when, when we try to get our connection back by something in the world and it ends, we fall back to our disconnection from ourselves that happened in the process of getting to know the world. Mm -hmm. So a heartache is actually a, it's a recognition of our disconnected condition. And heartache is the call to bring our focus back home inside to where it was in the Buddha tank, inside, in life, in awareness. Really? But nobody in the culture tells you that. No. no. Right? No. So, no. Yeah. so and then because we, we don't like it because it's intense, it's painful, right? We don't like it, so what do we do? Well, we distract ourselves. That's what we live lives of distraction. So good at Almost everybody, almost all the time, right? So we distract ourselves and whatever it takes. It could be music or it could be sex or it could be adventure or it could be you know, books or... Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways, right? So we distract ourselves from it or we just deny it or we try to ignore it mm. or we try to explain it away by some cockabunga head trip. Yep. Right? Yeah. Or we blame it on somebody. <laughs> that seems to be what we're good at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So distraction and blame are probably the two biggest ones. Yes. But you can't blame anybody for this because this disconnection is a normal, natural, necessary process yes. in the human journey. Yes. So I so what I say to people is look, when you feel heartache and you don't have to look for it, there's enough disappointments, enough things <laughs> changing. You don't have to look for it, but when you feel it, don't run from it. When you feel it, sit with it, be with it, yeah. feel it. Like it's an invitation. Yeah, it, for sure. And it may be, it's intense and it may be painful and there might be tears, yeah. but it ain't going to kill you. Yes. And then if you sit with the heartache, if you sit in the blues, if you sit in that place, don't judge it. Don't try to interpret it. Just feel it. Because less than a hair's breadth behind that heartache is your reconnection to your wholeness that is waiting for you to come home. Oh, my goodness. Waiting for you to come home. Love that. Yeah. And so I say to people, heartache uh, is the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive. Mm. For several reasons. Number one is it gets you out of your head and it grounds you in feeling. Yeah. And it makes you simple because yeah. heartache is simple, right? That's number one. Number two, heartache is your driving force. Everything you try and get accomplished out there mm -hmm. is always in the conscious or subconscious or unconscious hope that when you succeed, you'll feel whole again. 
Right. And it never happens. You get three days of, yeah, I did it, I did it, I did it. <laughs> and, and then uh, on day four, on day four, uh, <laughs> I talked to a multi-billionaire one time and I told him this and they said, he said, I read your book on fats and in your last chapter, I was reading be between the lines and you seemed to be saying something and I wanted to talk to you about that. So I said, so let me tell you how your life goes. You come up with some, and this guy had an airport named after him. Yeah. So he so he did this huge multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar project. And I said, so here's what you do. You come up with a project, then you spend years manifesting it, working your butt off. And then when you're done, then you have three days of yay, 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 I did it. And then the fourth day you wake up depressed. And he said, well, I wouldn't call it depressed, but I would call it let down. Ah. Okay. Same difference. Same yeah. difference, right? <laughs> and I said, here's what, here's what the mistake is, is you're looking out there for something that can only be reconnected in here. And he said, oh, he said, that has never occurred to me. So it doesn't matter what your story is and all of the, you know, the fame and the fortune and all of the stuff. None of it reconnects you. Only reconnecting, deliberately reconnecting, deliberately making time for stillness mm -hmm. gets you reconnected, right? Absolutely. So, yes. So the other reason why it's the greatest gift we've been given other than being alive. So one is it makes you simple and grounds you. Number two, it's your driving force. Yeah. Number three is it's your call to come home. Mm. And that, and it will continue to call you until you come home or die, in which yeah. case when you die, you come home anyway, yeah. <laughs> right? And number four, uh, it is the only starting point for the journey. Mm. And the reason why a lot of people just dabble in the spiritual stuff is because they don't recognize the need yeah. for the discipline. Yes. The need is the ache. The discipline is to bring the focus in, to pull yeah. in, pull the focus in, pull it in, pull it and in. And to make it a consistent practice. Yeah, it's got to be committed. Yeah. You can't dabble in it. I mean, you can dabble in it, but then you get the same thing. The master didn't dabble, redabble, right? Right. Yeah. But mastery requires commitment. Yeah. Mastery of self requires commitment. Yeah. So that's number four. And then number five is when you learn to bring your focus back inside, and you feel good, and then you start to feel good, then you start to get sloppy. And when you start to get sloppy, then your senses will take you out into the world because they'll do that every day, every time something changes. What's that? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Oh, look at yeah. that. Oh, listen to that. Right? <laughs> that takes you out every day. Yeah. So every day you need to take time to come back home, and that has to be deliberate. Yeah. Going out is automatic. Going home is deliberate. Deliberate. Right? Oh, yeah. So when you start to drift again, because now you're feeling too good and you think, yeah, I'm cool now, right? Then the heartache comes back to remind you to do your committed practice, uh, bringing your focus home. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, you know, this is, this is God's or source's way of helping us to go the journey and to yeah. remind us how to, how to evolve, how to get to know God within us. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you know what? This is a conversation I want to have with 8 billion people. I I agree. This has been incredible for me as well. 
Usually I do way more talking in these interviews, but Mm -hmm. I really wanted to just listen and receive from you today. And I got to tell you, I have so many golden nuggets from this conversation, if you even want to call it that. (laughs) What, you mean it's not even a conversation? (laughs) (laughs) It's a a download. (laughs) It is, and it was, and it just flowed so beautifully. I'm telling you, there were so many golden nuggets in here. I, I can't even begin to recap because I'm still integrating myself, but this has been so powerful. So many beautiful things were shared here, and what a gift you are to this world. And thank you so much for your willingness to share it. And we're going to do everything we can to get to those 8 billion people and beyond uh, to get this to the world. Because this is, you know, you really are a Christ consciousness in the physical form. Yeah. You want to hear a good joke on all of that? Oh, yes. When I had that experience, that being made of light in 1970, Yeah. Never told anybody about it for 50 years. Wow. Because it was my question. Yeah. And it was my answer. Yeah. And it was nothing that said, go and go and tell the world. Right. And it was like, unbelievably grateful for the answer Mm. and a place to live from. And I literally, it reset my entire personality from a war baby personality to just like, it just totally opened up the world for me, right? And it wasn't until 9-11 where my take home from 9-11 was discontent people will always spread discontent. Mm. And if we know what contentment is, and I claim to be one of the people who knows what it is as an experience, not as a definition, but as an experience. Yes. If people who are content don't spread contentment faster than the discontent people spread discontent, Mm. guess where we're headed? And at that point, I started saying, you know, I actually need to make this part of our conversation. Yes. Then I started to try and figure out how to do it, how to say it, how to talk about it. Mm. And so that happened in 2001. Wow. So I'm just 20 years into actually talking about it. Wow. After 30 years of not talking about it. It's incredible. And I still didn't talk about it because, you know, it it can't be a religious diatribe. It it has to be something. Um, it's almost like saying, "Look, there's something within you mm. that you don't know nearly well enough. Take a look, yeah. and what you'll find may be different from the way from what I found. Yeah, but it'll be it'll fit you perfectly. That's and right. You will be able to bring that to expression in your own way, in your own words, in your own situation. Absolutely. How cool is that? How- what if eight billion people? Did that? I think there would be no problem to solve. There would be no problem. No, to solve. Not not environmental problems, not relationship problems, not political problems. No, because every human being is a is in that sense a child of God, yeah. or a Christ child, or a Buddha child, or a Krishna child. It doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah, but our nature is the same, independent of what culture, what nation, what race what gender, what age we have, independent of that. Every human being has the potential to live in that incredible, unconditional love of life for yes. their body. Holy unconditional smokes. love of life. Holy smokes is right. Yeah. Empowering, unconditional love and all-encompassing peace. It is here. It's all here. It's all always here. been here. Always, always been, been here. here. Yeah, yeah. 
And 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 we're and we're like like stupid little kids. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Yes. Yes. And God is splitting its sides, laughing. <laughs> look, oh, at yeah, these, look at these guys <laughs> everywhere. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I really, I really want to share this as we as we wrap up for today. You know, people talk about judgment day coming, but it is not judgment day. It is compassion day. It is that unconditional love. Love, love day. Yes, indeed. It is that unconditional love that is it's bubbling to the surface. And so it's people like you that continue to share these messages that help us to find this unconditional love, to find ourselves, to go home. And so I thank you from the bottom of my heart for speaking your truth and for sharing this message. I feel so grateful and humbled today. And so how can people find out more about you? You know, where do they go? What have we got in store for others? You, you, you know that's the wrong question. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I know. Why is it the wrong question? Because they say, where can they find out more about you? The whole point of all this is where can they find out more about themselves? Yes, indeed. Right? Because the answers is not, the answers in me. It is. But your answer is, is most it? importantly in you. Yes. Right? Now, I would recommend uh, one thing. Uh, the guy who showed me the practice okay. has a website and he does all kinds of work. He works in jails and he worked with the FARC rebels and Okay. You know, change, they change from being like wild, destructive. They're like some of them are going around and bringing peace to their cohorts from being rebels, right? Yeah. And he works in South Africa. He does a lot of work there. And he's done, you know, wells. And in India, they had to close four jails because the prisoners weren't coming back because they something in them changed from the message. Yeah. It's I... I like the I in iPhone, right? Yeah. I for the number four, I for joy dot com. Okay, we'll add that right. to the show notes. I for dot com. Okay. Yeah. My uh, website, Udo's Choice, U D O S Choice dot com, and we talk about oils and enzymes and probiotics and some of the physical stuff, which we could do a thing on if you well, we're going to do a follow-up i just loved this so much i'm having yeah. you're coming back for sure <laughs> yeah and, and i have a website udoerasmus.com or the udo t-h-e-u-d-o and it's a mess it's a mess it's got a lot of junk on it but it's got some good <laughs> things on it so that's a work in progress we only just started that a couple of years oh. ago well, this is amazing we'll make sure that everyone has access to uh those links in the show notes Udo, again, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the time that you've given us all. I know that I'm going to be hearing from our listeners after they listen in to this, this particular episode. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And If they have questions, we can do a Q&A sometime. If you're, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. can do that. I think that will yeah. uh, that would be wonderful. I've got so many ideas now moving through. I'm going to sit in some stillness with everything that you shared with me today. Excellent. And uh, and allow that integration. So this has been such a treat. Thank you so very much. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've loved today's episode as much as I have. And I can't wait to be with you again next time on When Spirit Calls. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. 
So happy you could join us today, and we hope that you found comfort and inspiration with wherever you are at right now. If you feel you received a gift in today's message, please pass that gift along to a loved one by sharing this episode with them. To continue this conversation, please join me at rosehope.ca, and when you do, be sure to access your free gift by signing up for the When Spirit Calls newsletter. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon.